Hallelujah, Jesus. You can be seated if you want. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. You know, I'm sitting over there worshiping and, and getting excited again because we're, we're preaching my message through our worship. Of course, I joked about that last week, and, and then uh, I think uh, Les either texted me or, or, or said to me or sent me a message or something, and, and he, he said that he thought I was preaching his worship. And I got to think of what I said last week, <clears throat> and, I, and I, think, I think God does things like this so, so that he will give us affirmation. But as I got to thinking about it again this week, especially in light of what he's shown me through his word, um, I, I think I got a bigger picture. And, and, the, and the bigger picture is God, God puts all the pieces in place. He, he makes all the paths straight. He lines everything up. We just don't always realize he's doing it. Because the reality is, is when you worship in that song, typically after you're done singing it you forgot about it and I don't and I, I don't say that as a negative thing you've moved on to the next song and I'm sure you're fully engrossed in giving your heart soul and mind in that song and then you move on to the next song and you've forgotten the second song and the first song and then af after you're done with worship we move on to the next portion of the service whatever that is and you move into the word and, and we're always moving forward and forgetting what has just happened not necessarily a bad thing just a statement of fact but when you move forward and, and, and you're, if you don't have it all in front of you and you're not connecting the dots you can't see how magnificently God has just mapped out what he has done. And, and if he does it so intricately and so detailed and lines everything up so perfectly for this hour, hour and a half, two hours that we get together, <laughs> for some that this may be your first time here, you just got scared. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. Tell him it's okay, Pierre. Tell him it's okay. <laughs> but if God does it so detailed for this one moment in a week, don't you think he's even more concerned about your entire week? Your entire life. That, that, that perhaps this, this is just to show you that th this is how detailed God is. This is how specific he is. This is how strategic he is. Nothing, nothing, is, it, nothing is, is shooting from the hip with God. No, not, nothing is just by chance. Nothing is, is vegetable soup with God. Everything is perfect, strategic, planned, detailed, and right on time. And, and that's the God that we're worshiping. That's the God that I want to preach about this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. I want to talk again under the general heading of being positioned on purpose. And as I've been saying, go back to the, the title slide, if you will, please. As I've been saying, this whole year leading up to this year, 
and being into this year, I've, I've, I've had this thought on my mind that, that, that we are positioned on purpose. We're positioned on purpose by God. Even when we don't think that we are, even when we, when we think th- things are haphazard or things are by chance, or, or even when we things, think we're here because we've messed things up, we still have to realize that there is a purpose in our positioning by God, that we have been positioned on purpose. And I want you to know this morning that God sees you and he's coming for you. That should excite you. It excited me for you. <clears throat> I'm excited about this morning because I believe if, if, if we get this, I think this is going to be a breakthrough for some people. I believe it's going to be eye-opening and, and liberating for some people here this morning. So if you, if you got your Bible, Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28, say, praise the Lord. And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he has come nigh unto Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And in other gospels it references a donkey and a colt, the foal of a donkey. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they, went, and, and they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. Isn't it interesting? When God speaks something, we always find it the way he speaks it. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto him, Why loose she the colt? Again, interesting. Jesus already told them somebody's going to try to stop you. And he told them what to say. And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. Father, we thank you right now, God. Your word is spirit and it is life. And it will quicken us, it will come alive to us, and it will speak life to us right now as we've just heard it and received it. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and it will lead us and guide us every step of the way. Your word is life unto our being, and it's health unto our flesh, and it will infuse our souls with life, and it will bring about health and wholeness as we read it and receive it. And Father, we thank you right now, and we proceed with great expectation in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Everything seems business as usual for Jesus and the disciples. They're running around, they're walking around, ministering, traveling. Jesus is healing people, drawing crowds, creating problems, just like he always did. <clears throat> He's gone around, walking around, talking to them as, 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 he, as he suddenly began doing a little more frequently. By this point in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, five different occasions, Jesus has told his disciples, uh, I'm going to be led to the, to the elders and the scribes and the Pharisees, and I'm going to be uh, scourged, and they're going to beat me, abuse me. They're going to crucify me, but three days later, I'm going to rise again. Five times by, by this point in the book of Matthew, Jesus has told his disciples that. And in verse 18, which we did not read, he said, Behold, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed by the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. 
And as I've said five times now in the book of Matthew, Matthew records that Jesus has told this same message to his disciples, and five times his disciples don't get it. And we talked briefly about this Wednesday night. And the initial gut response is get angry at the disciples, you big, dumb-headed, dense-headed, thick-headed. I mean, isn't Jesus' message pretty, pretty straightforward? I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to condemn me to death. Does anybody misunderstand that? No, okay. If, if you misunderstand anything I'm reading, raise your hand. They're going to deliver me to the Gentiles. They're going to mock me, scourge me. Scourge means beat within an inch of my life. Beat nearly to death. And then they're going to crucify me. I'm going to die, but three days later, I'll rise again. Any questions? Five times Jesus gives that message. Five times the disciples don't get it. The natural response would be, what is wrong with you? Y'all are sitting there quiet like you don't understand. You have done this with your very own children. You have told them very plainly and very clearly, and they look at you with that look like, huh? And you're thinking, what, what is hard to understand about what I just said? The natural response would be irritation. But the reality is we can't blame the disciples. We can't. I, I, I believe to a degree that they are a little stubborn, Brother Arnold, because you and I is the one that was talking about that. I, do, I believe to a degree they are a little stubborn because they don't want Jesus to die. And anytime you get news that you don't like, you're looking for a way out of it. But there's a bigger reality going on, and, 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 and uh, the bigger reality is in Luke 18 and 34, but they understood none of these things. Every time Jesus told them, they did not understand. Not because they were stupid. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken to them. They didn't understand, Brother Jeff, because God didn't let them understand. Jesus told them clearly and plainly five times, as recorded by Matthew, and five times they didn't get it because God didn't want them to get it. He hid it from them. So God literally prevented them from understanding. Now, not because God wanted them to be dumb for the rest of their lives. God did not want them to understand there. Right there at that point in time. And isn't it amazing how God has a unique way of keeping things hidden when they're right in plain sight? It's right there in front of your face, but you can't see it. Well, what do, you, what do you mean? What, what I mean is you've read that scripture how many times? And you've never seen that. You've read that verse how many times and you've never understood it. But then that one day you read it and you almost come out of your seat because you got something you never got before. You got so excited, the light bulb went on. It was like you was in a dark room and somebody turned the light on and you finally got it. Why didn't you see it before then? And your response is, I don't know. Your response is, how did I miss that? You didn't miss it. It was hidden from you. God has a unique way of keep thing, keeping things hidden when they're right in plain sight and they're crystal clear. God has the ability to keep something from us until he wants us to know it. And it's not about God being a hoarder of secrets. I know all the secrets and you can't have them. 
It's about God understanding who I am, who I am in relation with him and, and Brother Mike, what I can understand. And when it's time for me to know. We do the same kind of thing with our children. There are certain things you don't tell your children until they are of a certain age or a certain maturity level. There are certain things you don't discuss with your children until they are of a certain age or maturity level. And the whole reason is, is because they can't handle it when they're, when they're younger or immature. There's an ultimate reason why you don't tell them when they might want to know, when they might want to get understanding. But, you, but you, you hide it from them because it's not time. It's not a good time. It's not a right time for them to have that information. And God did this exact same thing to the disciples. The interesting thing is at, at the time in Jesus' earthly life when he needed people more than ever, God is setting Jesus up to be alone. Jesus don't need support when he's healing the masses and feeding the masses. Everybody loves him. You don't, you don't need support when you're doing good and everybody's on your side. God is setting Jesus up for the triumphant entry to be betrayed and forsaken by all. And, and God is paving the way with the disciples' ignorance. He keeps it from them so they don't get it. And here's one of the reasons why I think. We already know Peter is a little overzealous. <laughs> He's a little overzealous. Peter doesn't even understand, and yet in his ignorance when they come to take Jesus, he whips out a sword and starts cutting off ears. If he fully understood, God only knows what might happen. Sometimes you need to be in the dark. Even as you're praying for light and you're praying for God to show you and God to, to, to explain things to you, sometimes it's not time. It's not time for you to get what you think you want, for you to get the understanding. And so we find that God, God is literally setting Jesus up to be forsaken. He's positioning Jesus to be alone on purpose positioned on purpose why would God do this I, th I think there's two possible reasons as I've already said he's literally paving the way for Jesus to be forsaken as the prophecy foretells they, they will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall scatter so Jesus has to be forsaken by all but at the same time Jesus is actually put in the position that each and every one of us here today has been in, are in right now, or will be in the future. And that is where you feel like you have been forsaken by everybody. He's alone on purpose. Jesus is positioned on purpose. He's not forsaken. He's not forgotten. He's on purpose. He's not surrounded I don't know if this offends people when I say this. He's not surrounded by 12 knuckleheads. But when I say that, I, I, if you'd allow me, I'd say 13, but then I think you'd think I was trying to put myself in with the disciples and I'm really putting myself in with the knuckleheads because that's what every one of us are from time to time. You can't, Jesus can't blame the disciples. 
He can't blame the people that are leaving him or the people that are causing him the most pain because the reality is, is he's positioned on purpose by God. He's going to be exactly where he's supposed to be. He's going to be exactly where God wants him to be. And as Jesus is traveling along, he gets to the top of that hill where the Mount of Olives is, and suddenly he stops, and he's got a special mission for two disciples. We don't know which two. Commentators speculate. I don't care. Doesn't matter which two. He sent two. And he gives them this special mission. But here's the interesting thing. We already know how the disciples kind of bickered and argued. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to sit at your right hand? Who's going to sit at your left hand? <clears throat> So there's always competition within the disciples. So we know as soon as he singled out two disciples, 10 were envious. And then Jesus starts mapping out this special mission because you know, when you get a special mission from Jesus, this is special. You know, Jesus uh, uh, grabbed Peter, uh, Peter, James, and John, and, and they all go to the Mount of Transfiguration, and they watch Moses appear, and they watch Elijah appear, and they watch all of this, this wonderful stuff transpire, and then they come back, and they talk about it, and the, the other nine think they're bragging about it, and, and there's tension there. It's a special mission from Jesus, and then he maps out the mission, Jeff. Guys, there's a village over there. Humor me. I want you to go steal a donkey and a colt <laughs> and bring them here. Hello? They weren't Jesus's. On earth, they had an earthly master. I know the Bible didn't say steal them, but you're the one getting this message. I can, I can just see them as they walk away and we're whispering to each other. Did Jesus really just tell us to go steal a donkey? <laughs> he, he needs it. What, what uh, Judas has got the money. Can't we buy a donkey? He tells him, go to a specific place, find a donkey, not just a donkey, but a colt. <laughs> There's one for both of you to steal. Bring them to me. Imagine the thoughts that are going through their head as, as they're what? Why were we picked for this? Why are we being punished? Hello? Because if we get caught and arrested, we're the ones that are going to jail. Imagine now I go down the street, hop in my neighbor's car and say, Jesus has need of this and then try to drive away. Eventually, I'm going to find berries and cherries in my, my, my rearview mirror, and I'm going to be pulled over, and Lord help me if it's Brandon's brother. Like, uh, Andrew, I can explain. <laughs> and he's going to say, so can I. Can you put these on for me, please? But again, what they don't understand is this crazy little scene is fulfilling prophecy from Zechariah 9 and 9 where Zechariah writes rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion shout O daughter of Jerusalem behold your king is coming to you he is just and having salvation he is lowly and riding on a donkey a colt the foal of a donkey what seemed absolutely crazy to them was perfectly in the will of God 
Sometimes you're going to find exactly what you need in the most unlikely places. And sometimes what you find that is exactly what you need is not going to be what you're trying to look for. I'm going to do it. Yes, I am. I know you all are tired of me talking about my wife. Deal with it. For eight, ten years, I was looking for my wife. I don't know where she was. <laughs> no, I do know. She was still in, in middle school and high school. <laughs> I'm a few years older than she is. See, God always has a reason why he has you wait. <laughs> but Sister Penny, as I was looking for her, I wasn't looking for her. I was looking for my list of things that I wanted in a wife. And in my, <clears throat> if, this is your, if, if you're new, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My list, she was white. She had blonde hair. She could play the piano. You know, I'm, 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 I'm go, I mean, the, the white and, and blonde hair, that doesn't really have nothing to do with being a pastor. But the playing the piano, I'm, if I'm going to be a minister, I got to have a wife who plays the piano, right? especially in this denomination because you never know where you're going to go and there's probably not a piano player we are blessed here in this in this in this congregation but but when you travel around it's it's best that, that that's that, I might not have a piano player but I ended up I ended up with one and a drummer and maybe a guitarist on the way so we got a whole band but but in my mind before I had the band formed my wife was playing the piano and I kept looking for that and I found something that was real close to that. But it wasn't God. And I finally got to a point where I said, God, it's me and you. You know what I want, but it's me and you. I didn't even say that. Brother John said, you know what I need. He does, but I didn't even say that. I, I said, you know what I want, but it's me and you. If I don't ever get married, it's me and you. Then about a month later, she walks into my life. And I, I never, I know this makes some people uncomfortable when you talk about race and color. We need to get more comfortable. I never looked at an African-American woman as a potential person to date not because I was prejudiced. I just never looked that way. But when God brought her into my life, he not only brought me what I wanted, he brought me, more importantly, what I needed. And blessed me in ways that I never imagined a spouse could bless you. Blessed me in ways that God actually intended for the marital relationship to be and for it to work but if I would have kept looking the way I was looking Sister Cheryl I'd have never found what God had for me and the crazy thing is is God positioned her on purpose and he positioned her in the church I was pastoring she walked through the doors I'm traveling hours to conferences and youth events because you know how we do it in the church Looking all up, looking multiple states. 
Oh, I was. I, I was. I was actively pursuing. And Sister Pat, she walked into the church I was pastoring. We need to understand God is a God who is very strategic and orderly about what he does. And even when we think we are lost, we are forgotten, we are on a back burner, that, that he doesn't understand, that he doesn't see, he not only sees, but he has a plan. And he has a perfect plan. Jesus gets to the top of that hill and, and, and everything stops. And the king of kings and the lord of lords is waiting for a donkey. Seriously, Jesus? You're healing limbs. You're, you're, you're causing blind eyes to see. You're raising the dead and we're waiting for a donkey. Yes. But in true fashion, you know how this worked. As Jesus was walking, he already had a crowd with him because Jesus always gathered a crowd until he sent them away. The disciples went and got the donkey and the, colt, the, the crowd probably started gathering them You know, because when you start taking other people's stuff, they at least would like to know what you're doing with it. So Jesus has got a crowd. As Jesus stopped, word, I'm sure, spread. And more people started coming. And then here come the disciples back with the donkey and the colt. And the crowd is just growing. And then they get there. And, and, and they, get, <laughs> they get Jesus' ride back for him. And it's time to pimp it out. But they, they, they can only work with what they got. So they can't put new rims on. They can't, they, they can't trim it in, in, in chrome. So what they got to do is they start taking all their, 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 ex, their external clothes off. Now, now, now we always got to understand that whenever the Bible talks about people taking clothes off, they're not running around butt naked. They're just like we are. They dress in layers. Only, only their layers were a little bigger, a little bulkier. But they get back to where Jesus is with this coat. And, and, and it's clear Jesus is mounting this coat. He's getting on it. So before he gets on it, they start shedding their clothes. And they start laying their clothes and their garments, their outer garments, on top of that coat. So that they can present a place that is at least a little better for Jesus than what they got. They don't have a lot to work with. They might not have a saddle. They might not even know what a saddle is back then. But they're going to put as many blankets on, as many outer coverings as they can to make it more comfortable for Jesus everything that they wore as protection as comfort and as covering to hide themselves from the world they removed it and placed it on Jesus almost like they're signifying Jesus you are now my protection you are now my comfort and you are now my covering I'm sure they didn't under, even, un, even understand the significance of what they were doing. They're just trying to make it softer for Jesus. But, but it's also almost like it's symbolic. I used to trust in this, but I'm not, I'm not only laying it down, God, but I'm laying it down under you, Jesus. So that I no longer trust in this to protect me, I trust in you, Jesus. I no longer trust in this to cover me, I trust in you, Jesus. I, I no longer trust, trust in that to hide me, I trust in you, Jesus. I now rest in you. And we know what happened after that. The excitement grew as Jesus started walking on that little colt down to Jerusalem. People start shouting in fulfillment of Zechariah 9 and 9. Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. As the excitement builds, it's, it's, it's visible. You can feel it. You can see it in the crowd. And I'm sure people probably started shouting, this is it. Here we go. 
The disciples who didn't get it, who didn't understand that Jesus just told they're going to kill me, but don't worry, I'm going to rise again. They, they didn't understand. And so they're probably getting psyched up. This is it. He's taken over. He's setting up rule. He's going he's to be king. We're going to be set up with him. This is it. This is what we've been waiting for. Now, if we can just slam the brakes on and all that excitement, and if we can just rewind and go back, and as we look at this passage, we understand Jesus is absolutely the focus of this scripture. His triumphant entry into Jerusalem because it fulfills so many prophecies. And it sets the stage for his crucifixion and his victorious resurrection. But can we remember the donkey and the colt for a minute? That morning... Some animal owner woke up, wasn't thinking about Jesus, wasn't thinking about God, wasn't thinking about God's plan, God's will, God's strategy, wasn't thinking about nothing but himself. He woke up that morning just like he did every other morning. He did what he would normally do. He thought what he would normally think. Nothing was out of the ordinary for him. He took them two animals up and, and tied them up just like he would any other day. Whether he tied them in the same spot or a new spot, a different spot, I don't know. But this man is functioning out of his own normal routine. He is going through business as usual. But little did he know what he was doing. As he's taking these two animals out and tying them up, he's not thinking anything special about them. As he took them out and tied them up, I'm sure he didn't step back and say, oh yeah, them special animals right there. That's a special donkey right there. That's a unique colt right there. Oh yeah, oh, something good gonna happen with them today. No, he probably fussed with those stupid animals trying to drag them out there like he did every morning. Did you ever try to move a donkey? Donkeys don't always cooperate. They don't always cooperate. They don't always do what you want them to do. They don't always. And you can grab that little, the little, the, I'm not a farmer. I'm going to call it a leash. I don't know what it is. You can grab a little thing on their head that, and you can pull all you want, but donkeys are pretty heavy. I've seen some very large, very strong men not be able to budge a donkey. That man might have struggled like he did every other morning with these animals. They, they might have frustrated him and ticked him off like they did on other mornings. He might have hauled off and kicked him in the rear end. Because for him, it's business as usual. He doesn't understand what's going on. He has no idea what is about to happen. He didn't get an email earlier that morning. Uh, this is Jesus. Please set out donkey and colt in front of home. Thank you. He didn't get that. He didn't get a phone call. He didn't get a message. He's going about his daily routine. He didn't realize that that donkey, which is an older donkey, meaning mature, which he's had for several years, and that colt, which is the same animal, just younger, never been ridden by a, a, anybody. He didn't understand they had a divine destination with Jesus Christ. He was oblivious to it, but God wasn't. See, that which is overlooked by so many people had a divine destination by God. He didn't see anything special or unique about those animals, but God did. 
They had a special place in God's plan. He didn't see anything noteworthy about those animals, but God did. Jesus Christ saw tremendous value in those things that we call beasts of burden. Animals that, that are purely used because you can pile a bunch of weight on them and they can carry it. They're not used because they're beautiful. Forgive me if you find them pretty. Line them up with horses. They're not beautiful. That's, that's not where their value is. Their, their, their value is not found in the fact that you can saddle them up and ride them because they listen so well. They're valued because they're an animal that you can use and abuse. At least that's what mankind has done. Jesus knew exactly what he was getting ready for as he stood atop of that mountain on the Mount of Olives and he looked at Jerusalem. He knows the triumphant entry is coming. He knows that he's about to clear his father's house because they're down there messing it up and, and, and making it a den of thieves, trying to make profit off of worship. He knows that the Last Supper is coming with the disciples and, and he'll wash their feet afterwards, including the feet of the very man who's going to leave and betray him to death. He knows that he's gonna be forsaken by all and then it really starts to get tough because then comes the scourging, the beating, the abuse and the death on the cross. Jesus knows that, that, that a time is coming very soon when he's gonna be forgotten by everybody, <clears throat> uh, everybody else around him. But Jesus stops for a minute, not just to fulfill prophecy, but to give this message to the disciples. If you'll permit me to paraphrase this. He says, go into that little village over there, that little village, that obscure village, that forgotten village. And on that, in that forgotten village, you're gonna find a forgotten street. You're gonna find a no-name street and you're gonna find a no-name house that, that, that not a lot of people know about. And you're gonna find, find a forgotten donkey, a no-name donkey. And you're gonna find a forgotten colt that is tied up with that donkey. And you're gonna find these no-name animals tied up and forgotten about. I want you to untie them and bring them to me because I have need of them. Forgotten by everybody else, but seen and wanted by God. Jocelyn, can you go to the piano, please? Jesus truly is Lord of all. We, we say that, we proclaim that, we sing it, we pray it, but then when we live, sometimes we forget it. When I can't see and I can't hear and I don't understand, sometimes I tend to forget God still sees, God still hears, and God still understands. Jesus said, I have need of it. The word need, Justin's going to throw it up there. There's a lot of gobbledygook up there that I just want you to show that I'm taking it legitimately from where I study. But I want you to, I want you to notice the word means, it means employment. Employment in an, in an affair as in an event, something that is going on. It, it means I have an occasion for you, but, but, but at the same time, it's stronger than the word occasion because there's a requirement upon it. A deep-seated want and desire, but not a necessity in order to live. Meaning when Jesus said, I have need of it, it fits vitally into my Father's plan. 
it fulfills prophecy. However, Jesus would have still went to the cross. The prophecy would have been fulfilled. If a donkey and a colt didn't show up from, from the two disciples that went, everything wouldn't have stopped and the Bible wouldn't have ended there. God would have, God would have already planned for another way to fulfill Scripture. So it's not need in the way of we can't go any further without this. It's need in a, in, in a, in a way of you have been specifically written into the plan of God. Do you understand how special that should make you feel? God's writing the plan of salvation for all of eternity, and he writes in a donkey and a colt. He took the time to, to write in, we need a donkey and a colt to carry my son triumphantly into Jerusalem so he can be forsaken by all. God takes the time to do that. And I think part of the reason he does that is he wants us to understand that we are vital to everything that God is doing. And he greatly desires us to be a part of what he's doing. But he doesn't, he doesn't need us to the point of, Mike, if you don't obey, you stop the plan of God. He's God and he has a plan for all of creation. And there's no way he's going to let any one of us any all of us come together and try to stop or hinder what he's doing but at the same time brother jeff he's got you written into a specific place on purpose to fulfill a specific plan part of his plan for all of creation you might feel tied up you might feel out of sight you might feel forgotten by everybody yet you got to understand you are exactly where you need to be you're positioned on purpose you're not there by accident you're not there because the world is against you you're not where you are because because of what other people have done to you or against you God has used the events in your life to position you exactly where he wants you to be you may question where you are and, and what you're doing there while other people dismiss you but God is saying, I have need of you. I've got a specific place set aside for you. You're vital to the advancement of God's plan. That, that, that lowly donkey and that colt fulfilled the prophecy in Zechariah 9 and 9. The donkey was not forgotten. The colt was not forgotten. They were exactly where they needed to be. They might have been used and abused by the owner that morning. That owner might have kicked them in the side or kicked them in the butt to get them moving. He might have pushed them around or smacked them around and tied them up. He might have cursed them out as he walked away. But little did they know in a few short hours, they were going to come face to face, not only face to face with Jesus Christ, but they were going to carry him into Jerusalem to fulfill the plan of God. That which was looked upon as having no special purpose was positioned on purpose by the Lord God Almighty. I want you to understand this morning, you're not as far from God's plan as you think you are. I, I, know, I know your response, but, but, but pastor, I'm the one that did this to me. I'm the one that did this to my life. I'm the one that made these choices. I'm the one that made these decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand. I agree. It is your fault. 
(laughs) But you're still not as far as you think you are. Because when we make bad, bad decisions, we can expect bad results. But yet, at the same time, God has a way, even through my bad decisions, to cause me to be positioned on purpose for his glory. I'm not saying God caused me to make the bad decision. God doesn't cause me to sin. He doesn't cause me to make a bad decision. The scripture even talks about it. He does not tempt us to sin. What I'm talking about is Romans 8 and 28, that, that all, and, and we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are, are those that are called according to his purpose. The moment you become called according to the purposes of God, God can take any of your situations and work them out for his glory. God not only can, but he has declared, I will. It doesn't matter what your situation is when you're called according to my purposes and you're living for me according to my word. I will work everything out for my glory. Consider the woman caught in the very act of adultery. What she did was sin undeniably. She shouldn't have done it. However, through her sin, God positioned her to be face to face with Jesus. She sinned, was wrong. We don't have to debate this. She was wrong. Jesus told her, go and sin no more, which meant she had sinned. But God uses her sin, uses her attackers, and gets her right where she needs to be, to be face-to-face with Jesus. And you, do you really think you've messed your life up worse? And you're not where you need to be, and you're not in a place where God can't reach you? Let me tell you something about God. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He has all power. He's everywhere at the same time. According to his omnipotence in Isaiah 43 and 13, indeed, before the day was, I am he. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work and who will reverse it? One of the few times you'll hear God stand up and say, I dare somebody to try to undo what I do. I dare somebody to try to take somebody out of my hand to try to remove my people from my hand. I'm all powerful. They can't do it. He has all knowledge. In, in, in Psalms 139, verses 1 through 3, Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all of my ways. And David continues to talk about his omnipresence. God, where am I going to go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings in the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide me from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. That's why... Jesus could know in a village that he can't see and a donkey that he cannot see there is a village and a donkey that he cannot see because as God the Father has has just declared to us I can see you everywhere that you go it doesn't happen it doesn't matter what happens in your life it doesn't hide you from me it doesn't hide you from my eyes it doesn't hide you from my ears it doesn't hide you from my reach I can always get to where you are 
The enemy lies to us. He tries to make us feel like that we're lost, that we're tied up, that we're in bondage, that, 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 that we don't matter, that we have no significance. But I want you to know this morning, God's telling you, I see you and I'm coming for you. I see you and I'm coming for you. See, this passage is about Jesus entering on a colt and a donkey and it shows us that God sees what the world says is insignificant. God sees and cares for what others say doesn't matter. In spite of all that's happened in our lives, Jesus sees you. I may, I may be neglected and forgotten by other people, but Jesus knows exactly where I am. Others may tie me up, they may limit me, but Jesus knows how to loose me and set me free for his Father's glory. <laughs> Isaiah 49 and 15. It's a, it's a shame that we live in a day and age where the first part of this verse has actually become more and more and more reality. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yeah. We, we, we see not only forget, but willful neglect. And then God says, surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. <laughs> God just, just, just spoke from heaven for all of eternity, letting everybody who will ever live know it doesn't matter who forgets you on this earth. I will never forget you. I know where you are all the time. I see everything that you do. I know every thought that you think. And I'm ready to dive down and rescue you if you'll just turn towards me and give your life to me. God knows exactly where you are. He's not too busy with himself. Like we are. He's not like us. See, I, I can get so engrossed with me that I don't realize there's a world around me. <clears throat> I can get so engrossed with me that I don't realize there are kids in the room with me. And they've said my name five times, Brother Arnold. Because I'm so engrossed in what I'm doing, I, even though I heard them, I didn't hear them. Even though I saw them, I didn't see them. <clears throat> God's not too busy for us. So the enemy of your soul would love for you to believe that you're nothing more than a forgotten beast of burden doomed to be tied up where you are. But Jesus stated this one day <clears throat> as I'm getting ready to close. Jesus stated, he was in church one day <clears throat> and he got up as was the custom. Different people would get up at times and they would read the word. And he got up one day and he, and, and he took the law and he began to read actually let me read it from he took the law and, and he, he began to read the spirit of the Lord Luke 4 in beginning of verse 18 the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he, the Bible says he closed up the book, laid it down, and he went and sat down. But you know what? When Jesus says things, it's a little different than when other people say things. 
you know it, it's it's kind of like I, t I tell I tell Josiah Josiah go go in, into your brother or your sister's bedroom and tell them I said and typically they go in and they tell it and they forgot the dad said part but even sometimes when they include it <clears throat> sister Edith they go in there and there's a certain attitudinal response from the recipient of that message <clears throat> and sister Myra all I got to do is get up and walk into the doorway and when they look at me they realize they better not respond the way they did with the messenger Jesus has a way of standing up and when he says something it's different than when everybody else says it and so as Jesus read that and then he closed the book and, and sat down, I, I can just envision everybody is just looking at like, what just happened? What, what in the world just happened? Because this, this don't feel like it normally does. And then in the, in the hush of the service, Jesus then says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, I'm here. I'm here to set free the captives, to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. <clears throat> I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what you're going through in life, but I know one thing for sure. God sees you and he's coming for you. Doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what you're doing. He knows where you're at and he's coming for you. Sometimes he comes through people that you're not looking for. Sometimes he comes in ways that you're not anticipating. Sometimes he comes in a time when you don't think you're ready. Case in point, a woman drug out of her adulterous bed to be thrown at the feet of Jesus. Doesn't sound like the greatest time to meet Jesus, does it? Ironically, it's the best time to meet Jesus. We live this life and this world tries to do its best and people around us sometimes try to do their best to put us down. Our own mind does its best to put our, us down. But you need to understand, Jesus came to set you free. His finished work on the cross gives us access to that very freedom. And I don't care where you are in life. I don't care where you are in your decisions, what you've done in life. You need to know God sees you and he came for you. He came for you. I'm going to ask you to stand and bow your heads if you could, please. with every head bowed Father I thank you for your word right now God I pray that it has pierced our hearts and changed us Father God I pray that it's become that engrafted word which is able to save our souls God and Lord that we respond to you and not to ourselves <clears throat> not to anybody else but Father we hear you clearly and we respond to you Jesus with every head still bowed and every eye still closed. <clears throat> if this word was for you this morning, if God pierced your heart with it, <clears throat> I just want you to raise your hand in acknowledgement of that and we're going to have another prayer. Thank you. <clears throat> You're acknowledging. Thank you.
You're acknowledging, God, I heard this. I heard this. I'm not going to give in to, to, to those thoughts of loneliness. I'm not going to give in to those thoughts of being forsaken or neglected. Thank you. His hands are going up. <clears throat> but you're acknowledging, God, I, I've heard it, and I'm responding to you right now. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. If you've raised your hands, I just want you to pray right now as we begin to pray as a church. If you didn't raise your hand, I want you to pray for those that did raise their hands. That it's not just something that, that, that stirs their emotions this morning, but it's something that changes the way they approach life. That it changes the way that they think and they under, understand that, yes, God, I'm not forgotten. I'm not forsaken. You know exactly where I am. And at the right time, you're going to come through in the right way. So if you've raised your hand, go to God right now. And if you have not, pray for those that have as we pray as a church right now. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for, 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 for the, the truth of your word today that lets us know, God, you've clearly seen us. You know who we are, Father God. You know where we are at all times. God, I pray that this sinks into the depths of who we are, God, that it changes uh, us, us as a man and a woman, as a child. Father, it changes us into your image and into your likeness, God. Lord, that we would never be lost in our own mind as to where we are in life and what's happening in life. But Father, Lord, we'd know that you know exactly where we are. We're exactly in your plan. And most importantly, Father, you can reach us, God. You can reach us where we are. You can get to us where we are, Father, for your glory and for our good father god i pray that there is a peace and a comfort that comes down upon those that need to be set free from this mindset that they're just the beast of burden they're a burden to people they're a burden to life father god they they are specifically designed and loved by you and father i pray that that sinks into who they are god and it changes their outlook on life it changes their own outlook on themselves father that they understand they are special they are unique in God. They have a specific place in your plan. Father, we thank you right now, God. We thank you for your word, Jesus. God, we thank you for your word, Jesus. And God, I pray that you would keep us as we leave this place. Keep us in your love and your care. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, bring us back this evening at the appointed time, God, as we worship you this evening. And God, we just thank you right now, God for all that you've done, for all that you're doing, God, for knowing who we are and where we are and knowing how to reach us with what we need. And Father, we just thank you right now, God, as we ask all of this with great expectation in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Amen, so be it.